Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, welcome back. We are doing another team recap. We got another wonderful guest with us tonight. Mark Ennis joined us. Mark, friend of the podcast. This is a much anticipated show tonight for a number of different reasons. So, Mark, welcome <laughs> back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for rescheduling. Oh, well, the pressure's on now. Jeez. All right. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you guys having me on. Thanks. <laughs> Mark of 93.9 The Ville in Louisville, Kentucky, of course, our Louisville uh, correspondent. Mark, you and I talked before the season coming in, and we talked about how Scott Satterfield had run a pretty ridiculous like roller coaster of approval ratings, basically, to date. Um, and then I, I look at the way that this season went, and it really felt like, in a way, it was like a microcosm of the entire tenure that he was here. You know, a couple of bizarre losses, everyone's ready to come for his head. And then they win like four straight games. Everything looked great. And then things sort of fell apart again at the end. I just, is that a fair assessment that this whole thing, the way that it went for Louisville this season kind of was a microcosm of how his whole tenure was? Yeah, I, I think it's a very good assessment. It, they did have his whole tenure in, in one year from uh, a disappointing loss uh, right out of the gate. You know, if there was anything I thought that really characterized his tenure here, it was anytime there was a game with some real anticipation, they they were flat as hell. Like and it was infuriating, and it really was only kind of once any of the the pressure of expectations were off is when they would really kind of put it together. Uh, and and it was they never were up for any of the the rivalry games with Kentucky. Never were really up for any of any of the openers. You know anything where there was a chance to do something big and something substantial and, and make the un like indisputable progress by beating this team or that team, they didn't do it. Uh, but then once everyone was sort of like, okay, well I guess that's that. Well, they had stringed together enough, and it was sort of this agonizing thing where they they just enough to not be able to fire him uh, and feel like it was the exact right thing to do, but not enough to where you feel like this is going somewhere. We're you know we're we're progressing towards you know this being as good as it can be. Uh, and it got to just be incredibly um, monotonous. And it was, I think the loss to Kentucky at the end of this year uh, was was disappointing because it finally wasn't like a, just a total physical mismatch, but they still just didn't have a creative thing that would sort of help them overcome any kind of adversity against Kentucky. And so like, if it didn't go perfectly, you just lost and it was just like, gosh, just any other kind of game. Never had the desperation. You know, it never felt like that once. It feels like there were a lot of parallels between what happened with Satterfield and what happened with Fuente at Virginia Tech, except Fuente wrote it out a little bit longer, right? There was the flirtation with another school. Then there was the, oh, okay, I'm staying. You know, I really want to win here. And then it was like the petering out of the wins and the disappointing losses for any game with major anticipation. That mirrors a lot of what happened with Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Except Fuente wrote it out, and Satterfield, it's almost as if he saw the writing on the wall when he jumped ship for Cincinnati. At least it felt that way from the outside. Did it feel that way kind of around the program as well? Yeah, there's no question uh, that, that he, to use Bud Elliott's term, he reset the clock. You know, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, he had one more year left on his contract, and so everyone knew after this year they were either going to have to extend him or buy him out you know, and fire him for that one year. 
And they had a pretty good second half of the season with the exception of the Kentucky game. Yeah. But when it came to the end of the year, his meeting with the athletic director was like, look, we'll extend you at, at what you're getting now. We will do that, but you're not getting a raise. And uh, I think Scott knew he would enter next year again, sort of in the same kind of hot seat position, even if they had more years on the contract, and just looked for a place to land and reset his clock. And now he's got, you know, however long his contract is since I don't remember. Uh, but it, it's bizarre when you think about it. This is better than any scenario Louisville could have hoped for <laughs> at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Because what you were really afraid of is either committing money you don't want to and him staying or committing money you don't want to to get rid of him and instead you got rid of him and Cincinnati paid you it, you know they got them to to build the wall and pay for it <laughs> by, by getting uh, by getting rid of him and it, it incredible it's an unbelievable stroke of luck right also uh the fortunate timing that that Jeff Brom is obviously very eager and ready uh, to, to pounce at this as well. So it could not have worked out better for Louisville. I, I was thinking about it. it. It feels almost analogous to like somebody who's really down on their luck, you know, struggling to make it in the world, living paycheck to paycheck, like that kind of thing. Just like walking down the street and finding a winning lottery ticket. Like, like you just kind of came out of nowhere, like didn't have to pay anything for it. And just something great. It's like all of, the little happenstance things that happened to Forrest Gump. Like the, this yeah. is like one, got one. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It, it was wild. And, and it continues, Mark, the streak that you mentioned to me in the preseason that I found just like almost impossible to believe that you said it had been about 60 years of Louisville football where only one coach has been there for more than four years at a time. Is, mm-hmm. is that am I remembering that right? Uh, five. Five years at a time. Okay. Five years. Yeah. Since uh, I think 61, only Howard Schnellenberger stayed more than five years. And so it, it, it's Frustrating because I think if you look at any program that's sort of taken like real substantial steps somewhere, there's one coach that kind of stayed and laid like a new floor, a new foundation. Louisville's never been able to have that. So they've always had these guys that can get, you know, Charlie and Bobby Petrino and and, and, like high levels, you know, even went to a Fiesta Bowl under Howard. But no one who ever stayed long enough to sort of set this new level here while at the same time you had 50 years of basketball from Denny Crum to Rick Pitino, a Hall of Fame coaches, 50 years, you know, literally did not have Denny Crum go back to UCLA after John Wooden because it was so good here. Hmm. You're like, how can we do this in basketball? We can't find one freaking guy to do this in football. And I think they probably have now, but it took 60 years to get him. I want to circle back to the the thing you mentioned about, okay, Satterfield meets with the athletic director, realizes that he's not going to, you know, be extended and you know get a pay raise right I'm wondering considering Louisville's success in the second half of the season how important do you think that Kentucky game was to maybe earning that pay raise yeah I I think it's it was it's its own game I think there's no reason to pretend like it isn't and it's unique in terms of rivalries there are a lot of rivalries where you know, you have distinct parts of the state or whatever, and you they are here and you're here. In Louisville, it's like 60-40. A lot of Kentucky fans from Lexington and from out in the state graduate and then move here. And so you have to. it's not that you interact with these people two or three times a year when they play in basketball and football. It's every freaking day. You know, and, and like your coworker or like your boss or – you're the people you report to or the guy you go to church with or the person ringing you up at the store. Like it's constant. And it was, 
you know, I don't know that it carried like a super amount of weight as much as it was like a symptom of he doesn't seem to get the importance of things like we do. And it's I, for me, it's fatal for any coach to let fans have the feeling that they care about this more than you do. Like you cannot, that, that can't exist. And so, you know, Petrino is maniacal and John L. Smith is maniacal and Charlie Strong's maniacal and Rick Pitino, there was never any doubt at all that for as much as it pissed any of us off for Louisville to lose, that Rick Pitino was suffering far more, right? But Scott never gave anybody that feeling. He was Mr. Boundaries and, and you know, perspective and everything. And when you're not winning like people want you to, I don't think you, people really want to coach with boundaries and perspective and balance and all that shit. It's true. Like, no, man. He is pissed off as we are, and he never really was. It didn't fit that way. One of the things that we knew going into the season – Mark, was that Scott was writing a bit of a, a high in terms of approval just based on some of the recruiting that had happened over the summer. Um, and that was something that even through a coaching transition, most of that recruiting class stayed together. I think it was Ruben Owens out of Texas ends up going to Texas A&M. But otherwise, you know, all the guys that he was getting a lot of recognition for, I mean, ends up sticking around with, with Louisville. And I know that um, th there's probably some small component of that that's NIL related, but I'm more just choose to believe that Louisville has built up a really strong pipeline into Southern California. Um, so I, you know, you know. I, I don't know where that came from, but I, I, it seems legit. Um, you tell me, I mean, is, is how much of that is NIL related, but how much of that is, is recruiting that Jeff Brom was able to do and is, is recruiting something that you envision Jeff Brom being able to take a significant step up from what the last couple of 10 years have seen? Yeah, I, I think it'd be, you'd be foolish to say that NIL is not, you know, a part, a big part of what happened there. In particular, because Pierce Clarkson, uh, the quarterback from from out there, his dad is an Adidas executive for crying out loud. Like, there's, you know, there's a there's an established relationship there, and but they were also strategic. So, it's like Louisville, the funny thing about accusing any one school of being like, oh, the NIL. Well, I mean, everyone is. Like you're not really saying to me, you're not saying you still have to persuade somebody. You still have to have a relationship with somebody. You still have to have some sort of pitch in addition to NIL. For, to me, like you're either hilariously overpaying guys, or you, you've got to at least meet the NIL threshold. And then we're just playing the same recruiting game. And so I think they did, and it gets them in some doors. I don't think they could have gotten into any other way, but they did a pretty good job persuading them that that Louisville as like a city without pro sports and things like that. I think Adidas does see Louisville as kind of an, a place of opportunity there where there's not a lot of like notoriety and competition, that sort of thing here for Louisville. Louisville is the pro sports team here, so to speak. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a giant part of it, but it's not all of it. And I think Jeff's reputation uh, is speaks for itself and, and Pierce Clarkson and his dad, I mean, Pierce Clarkson's his dad, his godfather, I think is Dennis Erickson, like they're yeah. friends. So, you know, the, the re offensive reputation, that sort of thing, they're all uh, pretty good. Rep I mean, they, they only lost Ruben Owens. They lost uh, DeAndre Moore. Everybody else, they were able to hold on to. Uh, I don't know how much. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. How, you never heard almost any of these guys being like, but I really wanted to play for Scott. Like, it was, you know, like, oh, I think two guys flipped, and they were sort of two of the, the lower-rated guys. And I'm not, you know, crapping on those guys. I'm just like, they didn't really lose a lot of those guys uh, to him and and fewer players transferred than I expected too. It's kind of interesting the way that it's been revealing that way. Mm -hmm. Jeff Brom obviously built a, a 
built, brought a program back at Purdue, right? And he's in a situation now, I think, with Louisville where, yeah, maybe expectations weren't met in, in the manner to which a lot of Louisville fans expected under Satterfield, but it's not like he's inheriting like a totally dead program, right? He's coming into, yeah. I think, a better situation than he stepped into at Purdue. So what do you think is like the single most important thing he needs to do to kind of, you know, hit the ground running? Obviously, recruiting a big part of it and being able to keep you know, a good amount of that class together, but maybe on the field this spring, what do you think is the single most important thing he needs to do? It's, it's quarterback. You know, Malik Cunningham's here as long as Kia Clark was in Virginia. Like he's been here for forever. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Scott did a really bad job recruiting quarterbacks behind him. It's the one place I think you can really uh, hammer him in terms of recruiting. They just never restocked uh, the quarterback position at all. Uh, so I, I think nailing the quarterback position this spring uh, and then retooling the defense, which shockingly, considering how bad they were early in Scott's tenure, they, they were really good by the end of the year, like really good. But then a lot of those guys are gone now. So I, I think they've done a nice job in the transfer portal. But I would say getting the quarterback position settled because it's such a, a different offense from what Scott did. It's, it's very much... Um, uh, just a kind of a personalized version of what Bobby Petrino did at his best. Like it's a, it's a technical, it's complex. That's a lot of the quarterback. That's why I think it's really good for him. It's a good thing for, for him that they brought Jack Plummer in who played for him three years at Purdue, uh, you know, to have your quarterback already know the offense that makes everybody's reps better from day one, you know, instead of running all this stuff with quarterbacks who are also learning that guy already knows it. Uh, and they will be that much further ahead. Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, replacing some of those front seven personnel, you know, by the end of the year, uh, Yaya Diaby and Yasir Abdullah were, were really, really good pass rushers. And they had not been earlier in their careers, but they were by the end uh, and, and made life hell for quarterbacks all over the second half of the season. And they, they've got to replace those guys. That, that's the biggest thing for me is I think figuring out where your pass rush is going to come from and then who's going to be your passer are, are the, by far the two biggest questions. I was going to ask, I, I don't know what the metrics say necessarily, but my eyes definitely told me that Louisville's defense, at least in the final probably nine games of the year, was significantly improved over what it had been prior in the Satterfield tenure. But like you said, I mean, it's a lot of guys that are now gone, being coached by a staff that's now gone. Like, yeah. In terms of your expectations for that unit going into the spring or even into the fall, I mean, do you – do you expect that's something that they can kind of carry over a little bit, or is it a little bit of a restart situation and, and try to build it back up? No, I, I think that they, they should still – I think there's reasons to be optimistic that the defense will still be good. Uh, I, and I think the what was so uh, frustrating about Scott so many times is you'd have games where the offense really struggled and uh, – oh, no, excuse me, where the offense played extremely well, and the defense just needed to be okay, and they, and they weren't. Uh, and they never forced turnovers <laughs> up, up until this year. Then they decided we're going to get all the turnovers uh, in the last two thirds of the year, and especially against Wake Forest. I was going to say eight of them <laughs> against Wake, I think. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sam Hartman turned it over again. By far, one of the top three or four surreal moments ever covering a team to where, I mean, there were five possessions in a row where they forced a turnover. I was like, they're going to do it again, aren't they? They're going to do it again. And they did. <laughs> it was the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Uh, but I, I think that there's some personnel still. Uh, coming back and they've I think it's interesting that it, he retained Mark Ivy who was the defensive line coach 
but then still brought his own defensive line coach who did a great job at Purdue with Carl Aftis and some others, you know, made it to the league uh, there, but, but kept him, I think, for continuity's sake. And he's going to coach outside linebackers and be kind of the edge rushing coach. So I think that there is an expectation to be able to keep up and, and continue at least some of this uh, while also kind of tailoring it to what they do uh, and what they prefer to do. But, you know, bringing in uh, some of the transfers and such that they brought in uh, this offseason, I think that they're expecting to be solid. I think what they're they're really expecting though is, is to make a lot bigger leap on the offensive side. What do you think are fair expectations in terms of, you know, you're coming off of a decent year by Satterfield, right? Obviously, you know, Brom knows how important that Kentucky game is at the end of the year. I mean, I think he needs to win some of those, obviously. But what do you think fair expectations are, at least for the outset of the tenure, given the holes at quarterback, the holes with the pass rushers and defensive line, like What's what's a reasonable year one? I mean, I don't think he's starting from like a year zero situation in a lot of ways, oh, but no. I think in some ways he is in terms of like, like you said, like five, five year quarterback and Cunningham gone, uh, you know, couple proven pass rushers gone, like significant holes that you know he needs to step in and fill in a, in a new place. I, I think the the big thing is you know, they do have a quarterback. You know, I think you know you got to mesh everybody, but I think right. that they're further along than they would be about having to teach the quarterback, you know, a new offense. But right. the big thing I think for them is looking at the schedule. Uh, the schedule is extremely friendly. Uh, the Kentucky and Notre Dame come here uh, to Louisville. They don't play Florida state. They don't play Clemson uh, and they get NC state at home. You know, it, it's a schedule. that's very, I think Georgia Tech is, is, is Atlanta, but it's not even, you know, on campus. It's the BMW or whatever, or Mercedes Benz. It is sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the expectations are pretty high, you know, I think for year one, I, I think, I mean, uh, uh, Bill Connolly was, you know, in sort of the wild predictions, just thinking at the end of the year, he's like, you want a wild prediction? I think Louisville's going to make the ACC championship game next year. Hmm. Yeah. And it's the first year they've ever sort of been able to, to go into the year, not needing Clemson, not to either to beat Clemson or have Clemson lose twice, you know, like yeah. Atlantic division life sucked. Uh, and so I think to have them off the schedule and to not need that, uh, I mean, they avoid everybody that's really good next year, at least on paper in the ACC outside of like perhaps NC State. I mean, I, I think they can be an eight, nine win team if, if everything goes well. Uh, I, th- I think they can. And I think more than anything else, if there was anything that separates or, or differentiates Jeff Brom and Scott Satterfield more, it's those big games with, with lots of tension Lots of expectations, lots on the line. At Purdue, they did really good in those games. Mm-hmm. Like, like, as good in those games as Scott did bad in those games. Uh, and that, I think, you know, is how you end up with a 9-3 a and three year instead of a 7-5 year. Well, it felt like at times they almost – it was almost the reverse, where there were a couple of times that Purdue would throw absolute clunkers. And I, I think to the Syracuse game this year where, I mean <laughs> – they gave Syracuse like three free touchdowns on just like dumb nonsense. They had you so know, many personal drives. fouls on an extra point that Syracuse kicked off from the Purdue 35. <laughs> that was incredible. God, it was like arena that. football. Forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, you mentioned, I want to go back to the quarterbacks real quick. You had mentioned that he's got to get that figured out. And to my eye, there's like three primary candidates here. You've got the incumbent Brock Doman, You've got the transfer, Jack Plummer, and you've got the freshman, Pierce Clarkson. And I think any one of those, you know, there's, there's kind of some, some stuff to sort through and figure out, you know, what you're willing to deal with. If, I, don't, I don't expect that you know the answer right now, but if, if 
you know, if I put a gun to your head or, you know, if I asked you to look in your crystal ball, what would be your guess for what happens there? And is there one of those three guys that if they come out and start the season, like you'd be really concerned? If Brock Doman starts, I'd be super concerned. Okay. Uh, you know, I think Brock's a future head coach, you know, and, and you know what it's like, you know, it's like when, uh, when Brian Schottenheimer was on Florida's roster, like if, you know, he was going to be a head coach one day. And if he played in the game, oh shit, you know, Brian Schottenheimer has to play. And that's what Louisville had to do with Brock Doman uh, last year. So I, I would be stunned if it's anybody other than Plummer. Pierce Clarkson, I guess, is dealing a little bit with a kind of a nagging injury. So he enrolled early, but he's not going to do a lot in the spring. So, I mean, I, I would be stunned if it's anybody other than Plummer. But one thing to keep in mind, you know, uh, Jeff, when Jeff was here as a player under Howard, Howard would routinely put in Jeff in, in these packages when he was not the starter in the second quarter, you come in for a series or two. And, and then when Jeff was an assistant under Bobby Petrino, they did the exact same thing with Brian Brom, where they would put Brian Brom in, in series here and there while Stefan LaForce was here. And so I wouldn't be shocked at all, especially given the fact that you can play four games and still redshirt, uh, that, that Plummer's the guy, but that you see some places where they, they, you know, they insert uh, Pierce Clarkson as well. And I, I think, I think he probably would do a decent job with Brock Doman, at least having him ready and that sort of thing. But if he has to play, that's not good for Louisville. I remember him and Bobby doing that with, with Brian, subbing him in for, I think, was it Stefan LaFleur at the time or someone? Of course, yep. yep. And it was, yep. like, it was like, man, I don't know why more coaches don't do this, like just getting valuable reps for a drive or two. Like, it, you know, it seemed like it worked out great. So, yeah. anyways, I'll get out of the way. you got to have some maturity, though. You know, Stefan LaFleur's was uh, – could handle that. He didn't take that as a threat. And of course, if you're threatened by Brian Brom playing for a little uh, tough shit, <laughs> you know, you should be. Yeah. I mean, Brian, come on. With the benefit of hindsight, given, you know, this is like the second or third dance with Brom and now he's finally here. Do you think expectations are higher than they've ever been for him to arrive? Or do you think just given like, what happened like three or four years ago, you know, pre Satterfield where it was like, all right, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then he didn't. And now you had the whole like benefit of knowing what happened with Satterfield. Do you think that that plays into it at all? Like, what do you think the, the expectations are compared to maybe where they were the last time that, you know, they, they chased after Brom and kind of were unsuccessful getting him? Yeah, I, I think uh, this is probably of the three, flirtations there was the year that Louisville ended up hiring Satterfield because they couldn't work it out with Brom right and it was after last year and then after this year and then this mm -hmm. one the third time's the charm right uh, if he had come the first time instead of them hiring Scott Satterfield I don't the, history says that every single head coach who comes in after Bobby Petrino it's a disaster that he he leaves you know a brownfield yeah. You know, he he does. It's it and and it even happened here when Steve Crackthorpe followed him with a roster that was like full of NFL future NFL guys, and they went six and six. Like it just when he's not there, it, everyone just sort of falls apart. Uh, yeah. And then if he, I think if he had come after last year, they still weren't. The roster had not, I think, sort of recovered from Bobby at that point. And I think it would have been kind of contentious if they had fired Steve there. I think there would have been some players that were that were disappointed uh, with all of that. And we hadn't really seen what NIL could do. So I think like of the times that he considered coming here, this is the most opportune one. People were done with Scott. You know, the fans had voted with their feet. Even as they improved last year, people didn't come to the games. You know, people knew. And they were right. I and mean, they turned out to be absolutely right about the guy. 
so uh, I think people are ready for him. And I think he fully, uh, he got Purdue to the Big Ten Championship game and felt like he'd kind of finished the work there. And, and this was an opportune time now. I, I don't have to feel any guilt about leaving there. I've done just about what I'm going to be able to do. They're going to get rid of divisions. It's going to be hard as hell in life in the Big Ten anyway. I uh, hear soon this was the exact right time. And he does inherit, like you were saying uh, a little bit earlier, he inherits a much healthier roster in terms of every position being well-stocked instead of just wide receiver and safety like with Bobby. Uh, and, and guys who worked hard, like Scott left it a lot healthier than he would have inherited at any other point. Mike, I think I'm good. Any other questions for Mark while we got him? I don't think so. I think we're I think we're. Did set. we ACC chant when Virginia lost today? <laughs> I did. Of course, we're not going to get through the uh, the Louisville discussion in March without hitting on a little bit of college basketball. You want to talk recruiting? That's what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Golly. I don't know about this actual games, but recruiting's going well. I got to tell you though, Mark. Like I, I, between you and. Um, Oh, who am I thinking of? Mark Rutherford, Mike Rutherford, sorry. And a couple other guys in Louisville, like some of the quotes that I was seeing from the coaching staff after games where they were just sort of throwing their hands up, like, oh, I don't know. It's like, man, I'm concerned about what's going on there and like if they're going to actually fix this under Kenny Payne. <laughs> it was disheartening uh, for sure. I've it, I've never seen a full year uh, where where guys just didn't listen and, and, and not being able to tell if it's them or if it's him or some combination. And he's, I mean, he's banking on everyone seeing that it was really them. Because I think, uh, just to, to, to wrap things up with basketball, I think they're going to bring four players back off the entire roster, and they're going to bring in eight new people. And if I think for fans, you know, it's the second year, and you're going to have to give them year two. But the I think the good news is when you're that bad, and you've banked so much on, listen, I, you give me a, a few players, and we're going to be fine. Well, okay. The whole roster is going to be your guys next year because you can do that in college basketball. You turn it over in two years, it's going to be all yours. Yeah. I think you get to skip that step where you're like you're where you're close that that nit step. And then you go four and twenty eight, and it's all them. All right, change them all and get a lot better. I think that's going to be the expectation. I don't think there's going to be any uh, if they go sixteen and fourteen next year. That'll be it. You think it's like tournament or bust? Absolutely. Oh wow, that's what happens when you go four and twenty eight. Like you can't go four and twenty eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you have as my many God, wins as people in this chat, yeah. <laughs> my guy Josh Pastner didn't go four and twenty-eight, and Georgia Tech is broke, and he still got fired. So, <laughs> three of the four coaches they lost to, or that they beat this year, got fired. Oh, that's true because they did beat Josh Pastner. <laughs> they beat Pastner, they beat Rick Stansberry, the Florida A&M's coach. I forget his name, and then there's Brownell, and they made the NIT. So, yeah, and then lost. And we kept Clemson out of the tournament too. Saying <laughs> Brownell damn near got fired too. So that's. Uh... <laughs> Then they, they then they announced fired. they're keeping. Should have fired faster as soon as you guys lost that game. Should have fired. Yeah, him. that's that true. Rough. Then they announced they were keeping I love Brown. Him, though. Man. I love that guy though. I have never <laughs> figured <laughs> out like the Louisville fan. I, there was barely even any crossover with like his Memphis teams, but like there are like some Louisville people that have an absolute fascination with Josh Pastner, and I've never figured it out. Well, he's he's adorable. He's he like he's a not. like a not serious version of Rick Pitino, right? <laughs> Does that make you know like that kind of intent, that kind of energy, but like not at all angry like Rick? But it goes it goes back to 2014 when when they beat Louisville at the Yum Center. Josh got, got into it with some Louisville fans as he was going down the tunnel. It's fine, nothing bad. But then after the game was like goes to the podium and it's like 
talking about the team GPA and all the stuff. And, and Louisville fans have never forgotten it. Like, I get calls about it. Did he talk about the GPA? Like, now. It's nine years <laughs> later. Like, it, it, you never know what's going to stick with people. But him talking about the GPA in the postgame press conference, people are like, fuck that guy. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. He Yeah. I mean, he's like the Italian mob boss's, like, oblivious, like, just ultra-optimistic son. Like <laughs> That's also Jewish. Yeah, also Jewish. Yeah, right. Also Jewish. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, quite the experience watching him. The last, there like, are a few years. things that I've enjoyed more than reading his answer about Georgia Tech being a you know an engineering school and all that from mm-hmm. media days this year. Hit the audio of it is not nearly as fun as when I read it. That was much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he he'll talk about anything. You put a microphone in front of him. Hell yeah, absolutely. He's one of those guys. He's probably going to be on Cal Perry's bench next year, so we'll see him. Oh, boy. That's, yeah. Yeah, apparent. There. Cal needs help. Mark hopes so. <laughs> and if they, if they lose tomorrow, if Kentucky loses tomorrow, whoo. You think he's done? I think he'll want to be done. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah I think he's so done too. with that. He's a lot of money, man. I'm not walking away from all that, but maybe he will. That's true. That's true. Mark, this has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Mark is on uh, 93.9 The Ville in Louisville, at Mark Ennis on Twitter, um, all things wonderful Louisville coverage. Mark, absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We'd love to have you back on sometime soon. Anytime, guys. Anytime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike, we've been talking about doing a news update for a few weeks now. Let's just go ahead and uh, let's do that now. How does that work? Yeah, works for me. There's really only like one piece of news that we really felt compelled to discuss here. We could get into some some minutia about the NFL draft and combine results and, um, you know, a scheduling announcement between Georgia Tech and Florida State involving an Ireland game. But the, the big thing that we need to hit on actually does involve Florida State. Uh, really, it starts with Florida State, Mike. And it was it's a few weeks back that – there was a, I believe, a Florida State Board of Regents uh, meeting, something to that effect, basically, where their AD came out and said something that basically alludes to the fact that Florida State is losing money on their ACC deal relative to what they would be making on a deal with the SEC or the Big Ten in terms of media rights. Grease in the um, skids. Grease in the yeah. skids. Yeah. Um, Basically saying, you know, we, we only get 7% of the ACC's revenue, which I, if I'm not mistaken, that's, you know, 1 over 14, 1 over 15, something like that. Um, basically, that, that every, every team in the ACC gets an even distribution of the media rights, money that comes in from ESPN among the other potentially bankrupt networks um, that broadcast ACC football games. Um, that might be another uh, little news tidbit to discuss at some point. But Bally, Bally. God, screw you, John Swafford. Anyways, um, so Florida State comes out and points out, hey, like we should be, we are worth more than seven percent of the ACC's uh, value in the media. You know, we we command more than seven percent of the audience or of the attention. You know, blah 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 blah. We should be getting more than seven percent of the money 
basically straight up saying like we we want to start instituting uh, uneven revenue shares. Clemson, their AD Graham Neff, I believe is his name, um, comes out within a day or so afterwards and basically says, "Yeah, same. Like, yeah, we are also worth more than seven percent. We should be getting more than seven percent." Um, and I believe it was then, like within a week after that, there was a similar note that came out of uh, the North Carolina athletic department as well, um, giving a, a similar take. Yeah. Um, and so, Mike, really what this all kind of uh, seems to for, uh, yeah, forecast or forebode is um, the ACC is probably it. Well, let's let's start here. There is a chance the door has been opened, the discussion has been started for the ACC to start an uneven revenue sharing model wherein each of the different schools would not be getting the same amount of money. That amount of money would be changing depending on how valuable the conference members deem each school to be. So let me start here. Do you think, Mike, that this is a thing that will be happening at some point during the life of the current ESPN contract, we'll say, which runs through 2036? It's going to be used at the very least, in my opinion, as a crutch. When the SEC comes calling and says, we want you to come to our conference, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, maybe, those schools are going to be like, well, ACC, this is what we need. This is what needs to happen. Or we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, this is 1,000%, in my opinion, greasing the skids for that conversation, right? Where, mm-hmm. hey, we told you this is what we wanted. You didn't deliver on it, so we left. There's this thing called the grant of rights <laughs> mm-hmm. that I think some of these teams are trying to find a way out of. <laughs> That's, with that's the, the ACC? thing that's really holding everything all together at this point. That's the reason that Clemson, Florida State, and others haven't left yeah. yet. Yeah. And Tony Syracuse, we had him on the on the podcast in the preseason. He's been doing some research on just the grant of rights in general. Like, it varies by conference. But, you know, the one thing that he mentioned, that he took away, is that it's not always binding as binding as it looks Mm -hmm. and yet like it's it's been a few years now that this has kind of been a a little bit of a discussion point a little bit of an issue and if i'm not mistaken florida state has almost blatantly stated like no no we've, we've actually looked into this quite a bit like they have invested a good amount of uh a good amount of those billable hours with their uh, their lawyers looking into how can we get around this? Are there loopholes? Is there something we could exploit? You know, is this something we could negotiate down? And the impression that I get is that they haven't found anything. That there there has been nothing that has come from that just yet. And that's it's kind of a long, long time to be looking into the same thing and finding nothing if the idea is that then they might find something later. Um, so I, I would be a little surprised if they do find a way out of that grant of rights, which, which, by the way, just to be ultra clear, the grant of rights basically states that each of these schools have surrendered their own media rights for any home games that they play. That is, they are surrendered to the ACC. They are property of the league. They are not property of the school anymore. So 
if Florida State were to want to leave and go to the SEC, they would not only be paying the exit penalty, which I think has been estimated somewhere in the 120 to 150 million dollar range currently, but they would also be leaving with the ACC rights to broadcast games from uh, from Tallahassee for the next 13 years, basically. Um, so the money from those broadcasts, the money from that situation would be going to the ACC, not to whatever con conference they would be then going to join. So that is a another major sticking point that I think that's, you know, we, we estimate the exit fee being like 120 million to 150 million. The grant of rights value is valued, I think, somewhere between 350 to 400 million dollars in that kind of case. So that's that's where it becomes way more like prohibitively expensive uh, for Florida State to try to leave the ACC and, and do that with, the, with you know, tr just try to circumvent the grant of rights. You just can't do it as it currently stands uh, without something having to change structurally in the meantime. Um, Mike had to step away for dad duty for a couple minutes, but we can keep rolling here. Uh, Producer Scott's with us. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hey. I'll tell you right now, Scott, um, I don't think that this is going to happen in the ACC. And here's why. is It's a numbers game, right? Like, I mean, all this is obviously money and numbers, whatever. But, like, but the point is, like, there's 14 schools. You would have to have a majority vote. Why would schools like Boston College, Syracuse, Wake Forest – some of these schools that clearly would not be one of the top five or six, uh, you know, attention grabbing brands in the ACC. Why would they ever agree to this? Say, yeah, we'll take less money in hopes that one day Florida state will be offered enormous money that we can't possibly match by the sec. And they won't take it just because, well, we were nice and we uh, gave them a few more dollars here in the meantime. I don't think they would do that. They wouldn't vote for that. I don't think they I don't think they would either, but I also have a question if on um, how does the SEC uh kind of do this with their schools? Uh for for example, Vanderbilt is still in the SEC. Like they're not one of the big brands. Yeah. So how do they do it? My understanding is that they have equal revenue sharing. I think most of these conferences do. The Big Twelve did not. Um the Big Twelve I believe had more money slated for Oh, let's see. Texas and Oklahoma, who now have left the, for the SEC. So you have a little bit of a, a demonstration there for just how much unequal revenue sharing means to schools when trying to decide are they going to stay in the conference or leave, which is to say it really gets you almost nowhere. It just costs you money. Um, there was that. I don't think that we've gotten there with the Pac-12. I know there was some discussion of doing that with, like, USC – maybe UCLA. Um, I think there's now some discussion maybe doing that with like Oregon and Washington who are the other ones that are kind of uh, theorized to be candidates to jump to another conference. There's also like the corner schools. Anyways, that's, that's a whole other ball of wax. But the way that I understand it is that the Big 12 was the only conference that really was doing it that way of the five major conferences. The others, it is an even distribution of, of that television media revenue school by school. And I guess the ACC, I think you guys would have said this at the top, that because the TV deal is so horrendous, that's why the revenue isn't, even though it's balanced, it's not enough to like 
sniff what they think they could make if they own their own rights, I guess. Right. Yeah. If you look at the deals that the SEC and the Big Ten uh, have recently signed, and the Big Ten, I believe, it was a kind of a combo of like CBS, Fox, and NBC. Um, the SEC. Yep, the big boys. Yeah. And the SEC was with ESPN. Um, basically, if you want to watch Big Ten football, go to the channels that show NFL football right now, and uh, it's there. If you want to watch SEC football, just go to ESPN, ABC, ESPN2, ESPNU, the SEC Network, like all those ESPN-owned channels. Um, that's that's what it's going to be, I think, here starting in the next, what, couple of years maybe? Um, it won't take long to get there. Those are like far and away the biggest deals, both just in terms of pure dollars as well as like on a dollar per school basis, like way, way higher. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, I can't say, but I mean, it's... There is a massive, like, like, ch like a chasm, chasm, however that word is. Like, it's a, an enormous gap, I think, between what those two are doing versus what the other, even the other three Power Five schools are doing. Um, as you alluded to, it is the ACC's 20-year-long media deal that was signed in 2016, part of which uh, created the ACC network. But the the level of you know, it is not a lucrative deal relative to what these other conferences are doing it does not escalate quickly like at all um, it does not allow for any sort of renegotiation short of like conference expansion which is part of why we've kind of pined for that at times in this podcast but yeah i mean it, it is it is not a situation that is setting up the acc to remain competitive at the highest levels financially over the next several years Do we think the collapse of Bally Sports is going to impact this? Possibly, to some degree. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, that has also come up. I think it was maybe just yesterday, Scott. As we, we record this on the evening of Thursday, March the 16th, uh, you know, on the tail end of the first day of the first round of the NCAA tournament. But um, I, I think it was maybe just yesterday that we heard that the, I think it was Bally or, you know, the, whatever the company is that owns all these Bally Sports networks, basically had filed for bankruptcy protection. There's chances that this is going to cause issues with a number of, like, the MLB teams that they broadcast locally across the country. And um, and now, obviously, there's, like, the one, maybe two games a week for the ACC in football as well as a couple games a week in basketball that they broadcast where I don't know that there's a lot of clarity on either, A, like, is this TV network going to continue to exist, or, B, Will they be able to continue making payments to those leagues to, you know, continue carrying their games? Or will those leagues just, you know, say, hey, you're violating this contract and we're out? I don't know. Yeah, so touching touching real quick on the Bally point, I did see that the MLB will be broadcasting or live streaming all of the Bally Network cities for free. So I saw that. So the MLB um, will take so, care of that themselves, yeah. Right, so I don't know if something similar would happen. So in my hopes and dreams are that the ACC network would then be able to broadcast all of those games that were slotted for those regional networks. But <sighs> a man can yeah. dream, Joey. You know that's probably not going to happen. So <laughs> A man can dream. Um, I don't know if it would be the ACC network. I mean, you could find a thing on, like, ESPN+. Plus. I mean, th that's really your two broadcast partners right now is that one or two games a week on Bally, and then everything else is on ESPN. So – you figure that would at least enable uh, an, a renegotiation of sorts, but I don't think it's like a fully, you know, 
tear it down to the ground and restart level of negotiation. I don't think it's going to really fix your problems long term, but yeah, I mean, it might do something. It might be a, a somewhat you know, slight boost. I think my understanding of what I've heard is that the whole genesis of the Bally deal, which used to be Jefferson Pilot, which used to be, you know, Lord knows what else. I can't remember all these networks that it's been on, but um, a lot of that I think was related to John Swafford having a relationship with someone in leadership there, and it was a little bit of a. I don't know that he was that Swafford was doing it because it was a legitimately smart business deal, at least in in the most recent round of negotiations. I think it was a little bit of him trying to do a favor for someone over there and in turn doing no favors for the rest of his league on his way out to go retire, by the way. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. So, yeah, that's that's a lot, you know, a lot of background. And this is all very, like, if all you care about is, like, what happens between the lines on a, on a Saturday, like, this, this stuff is pretty far uh, outside of your purview, outside of what you care about. So I don't know if even people are even listening to this at this point. But um, in any case, I mean, so, so – that's the thing. I don't think this is going to happen, the uneven revenue sharing. I don't think it will. I don't think that enough schools are motivated for it to happen. Um, I, I don't think it makes sense. You know, I, why would, again, why would, like, Wake Forest agree to take money out of their own pockets just for the sake of maybe trying to keep Clemson and Florida State in the league at a, at a much later date when they actually have the ability to leave? I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that they would do that. Here's the other thing, Scott, and this is this gets to you know a little bit of a, a rant that I have, um, and and something that I, I was thinking about, and and this like go off, King. This this realignment stuff is really bothering me, um, kind of at a, at a conceptual level, and I mean there's there's definitely a piece of this, and, and it's it's Texas and Oklahoma leaving the the Big Twelve to go to the SEC. It's USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. Like we're we're doing the the realignment thing, right? And it it the discussion kind of at a fundamental level bothers me because what we're talking about and, and what the the reasoning always is is these schools are doing it for more money. They're trying to get more money. Um, they they you know Texas and Oklahoma can make more money off the TV contract at the you know with the SEC than they could with the Big Twelve. So they're going to do it and they're going to go get more money, more money, more money, more money. And where this, I, I, I get that on some level, right? Like, you know, you have more money, you can buy nicer things, you can buy better coaches, you, you know, you can maybe even afford to pay the athletes, gasp, egad. Um, you, you, you can do a lot of things. Never. That, you know, Paying athletes? No. Yeah, you can build an even bigger palace and you can coat all the toilets in gold and you can, you know, whatever you're going to do. But, but at some point, Scott, like what, you tell me, like what, what is all of any of this actually about? Like, there's only one thing that this is actually any of this should be about. Are you asking me, the fan? Are sure. you asking the, yeah, business, I mean, the business decision makers? Ultimately, what is any of all of this about? Yeah, you, you, Scott, you, the fan. I, guess, I think I'm too smart for my own good sometimes because, like, I've already seen how money intertwines with sports. But ultimately, it should be about the student athletes on the field. Yeah, it's what happens for 60 minutes on Saturdays. Who wins games, right? Like, that's what that's what matters, is winning games. And now here's the night, you know, okay, well, again, if you have more money, you can hire better coaches and you can, uh, you know, build better facilities and you can probably recruit better and blah, 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 blah. So, like, that'll lead you to winning more games. But will it? Do you think USC is going to win only, more games? There's only the big... so many games to win. Yeah, there's only so many like... games to win. And when you, you know... 
by making more money, these teams, these programs, it's like, well, yeah, they're going to become a bigger fish, but they're also jumping into a bigger pond. They're no longer the biggest fish in a small pond. Now they're a, a bigger fish in a much bigger pond with even bigger fish than they have. So, like, at some point, yeah, you're making more money, but, like, are you actually winning more games? Is this actually giving you a better chance to, like, win a national title or to win your conference? Or, like, that, that's the thing is, like, there's there's the the rivalry aspect for sure of like you know are we just not going to see USC play Stanford anymore, are we just not going to see USC play Oregon you know we we didn't have Texas play Texas A and M for like a decade, over all this nonsense we talked about the the Pitt West Virginia game right in the ACC and and uh, the old Big East days right like that's what really makes the sport great is is those rivalries and and all the pageantry and tradition and everything that that comes with it, so you're gonna throw that out and for what. Do we think Texas is going to have a, a better chance at winning a national title or at winning their conference? They didn't win their conference in the Big 12. Well, now they're going to make more money. Well, guess who they're going to compete with? Alabama, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Georgia, Florida. Like, so, I don't know. That's, that's where this like really bothers Like, What's the money for? You're making more money, but for what? You're not going to win more games. You're not going to win more national titles. You're not going to win your conference. Like, I don't know. It's more money for the sake of more money. It just, it bought, like at some point money is for something. And I think I'm kind of losing the point of like, what is it for? Great. We can pay our coaches $10 million instead of eight. Like, okay, now what? Does it change what we see on Saturdays on the field? You're not playing your rivals, but Oh, guess what? You know, you're, you're on the sec network now. Like, I don't know. It, it's very much wearing thin on me. It feels it feels dumb. It feels short sighted. I don't think it's necessarily good for the sport. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense, and it it just irritates me on a uh, conceptual level. Like, wh what's the point of it all? I agree with you, especially based on your rivalry point, because I think obviously the Pitt and West Virginia one, they're like within a stone's throw of each other, and it's just sad that they can't play mm -hmm. all the time. But um. Yeah, I think that's like the main thing that loses out in it. Uh, yeah, I don't have a good rebuttal for what is the money for because the rich get richer, Joey, and we're just a couple of guys living living in this world talking about it. So, and that and that's kind of the thing is like, okay, let's say Virginia Tech leaves tomorrow and goes to the SEC or the Big Ten. Virginia Tech's gonna get more money out of it. What do you, the fan, get out of that? Like, nothing. Guess what? Now you don't play Virginia every year. You don't play a couple of your other rivals. You're probably going to lose more games on the field, but, hey, at least Virginia Tech got more money out of it. Pisses me off. Hi, Mike. Mike's back. Hello. <laughs> we were just talking about the uh, – the, uh, I don't know. There's a um, – what, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know. An impending sense of doom, basically, for college football. Accurate. <laughs> Tough but fair, yeah. Um, not not to, to recap the whole discussion here, Mike, but basically I, I, I disagree that this, is, this unequal revenue sharing is going to happen. Um, reason being, I just don't think that you're going to get nearly enough schools to vote in favor of it. I don't think that it makes sense for – so much of the ACC to actually vote for this that like why would Wake Boston College Syracuse take your pick of, of so many of these schools like why no. would they vote to take money out of their own pockets they wouldn't yeah so they wouldn't that, that's my this thought is just used as a, happen. 
it's just used my my thought i think before i left like 20 minutes ago was that they're kind of using this as a threat so that they can figure out a way to get out of the acc that's kind of my take on it and that was kind of my last point here is i it does feel like it's a warning shot or it's something but like ultimately i think this is kind of the call it the first domino and you've seen that meme where it's like a small domino and a bigger domino and all of a sudden there's like some massive toppling like I, I do think that this is the first domino to basically the end of the ACC as we know it, um, because they're ultimately yeah. kind of setting up for an excuse for why to leave. It won't be tomorrow. Won't be the next day. It might not be even within ten years from now. But at some point, these schools will leave. They'll call it a money thing. They'll say, "Hey, we we tried, you know, a different revenues distribution, whatever. It won't matter." Um, but this is the kind of thing that's going to result in a number of programs that have been with the ACC for decades, um, ultimately electing to to leave. And, um, you know, I don't know. That sucks. <laughs> it sucks that these schools that have so much history together are now going to, you know, be, be separated by greed and, and money, which, again, like what ultimately what's the money for? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting podcast when we're going to be talking about, like, the Houston Cougars. And uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll merge with the Pac-12. You and I can talk about Oregon. Mm-hmm. Does that get your juices flowing, Mike, thinking about a, a Virginia Tech-Arizona matchup? In, in the Holiday Bowl, maybe. Can't wait for Georgia Tech to make that trip to the Palouse, play Washington State. That'll be, <laughs> to a, the that'll be a yes. classic rivalry, classic matchup. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, that's that's kind of really the, the big news, I think, that happened. Um, Mike, while you were gone, we also discussed the, the Bally thing and, and how that might throw a wrinkle in, in the whole ESPN contract situation. Um, who knows? A lot more to come on that, and I don't know that we'll have yeah. a resolution on that within – you know, the next month or two, maybe we will, who knows, but um, that's something else to kind of keep, keep track of as this whole thing develops. Raycom, the Raycom sports game is going to be uh, heading somewhere else next fall. Yep. Yep. Does QVC have any games yet or, <laughs> or the uh, now defunct Comcast Sportsnet? Yeah. Maybe Univision. I don't know. Like God, PBS. <laughs> PBS. I mean, you get pretty good reach with that, at least. There's I was that. gonna say, uh, this programs are brought to you by viewers like you. Yeah, yeah. As they say, maybe YouTube TV will still carry like any of those channels by then. We'll have to see. Who knows? Hell no. Like ESPN package, and that's it. <sighs> all right, Mike. I think that's all I got. Anything else? Yeah. On news. Now I'm I'm good. Ready for bed. Yeah. It's been a, a real uplifting one, um, you know, but glad we got to uh, to go ahead and discuss this. Yes, so, without a doubt. Got it, got it taken care of. So I discussed it for about six minutes. I came and went. You know. <laughs> that's that's probably good enough. That's probably good enough. Yeah. You don't you don't ever last six minutes. <laughs> there it is. Oh, there it is. I, that's I was, correct. I six minutes would be a record. I knew there was a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, next time would be the first time. <laughs> Uh, well, on that note, let's work on getting out of here. Uh, 
We are going to come back, keep recapping some teams. We've still got some news we got to catch up on. We will do that soon. Uh, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI, together at BC, BC Podcast ACC. Once again, Mark on Twitter, at Mark Ennis, all one word. Uh, for all things wonderful Louisville, ACC commentary, and just funny tweets in general, I think. So go okay. follow him there. <laughs> we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, all those great places. Please hit the follow button, the subscribe, five-star reviews, all those good things. Um, send us an email, longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Uh, Mike, where else on the social medias? Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference, rate, review, find some of our podcasts there. Do that. Please do. Please do. Mike, that's all I got. You want to come back and uh, recap some more teams? Got to find another team to recap. We do. And the time to do it. So, we'll that talk about that. Yeah. Kids <laughs> get in the way of that. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Mark Ennis, for producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, go Cards and go ACC. Oh.